time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, ghosts and monsters. Welcome to Pop C Underground, episode 13 of the show that is bringing you unforgiving takes, passionate opinion on all things pop culture, news reviews, media, and more from a fan just like you. I am Jordan. Welcome to the show. I am your host, your producer, everything. Welcome back. What a crazy week it has been for Gunfu Masters. Deathstroke and Red Hood are now making their presence felt in the pop sea world. Man, we have got some things to discuss today on this episode. And before I do so, I would like to thank each and every one of you who has made Pop Sea Underground a big success so far, as my last show took about 70 episodes to reach the listenership that this show has taken 12 episodes to reach. So, give a clap for yourselves. Give a clap. And made the Supercast always rest in peace. A lot of good stuff, a lot of fun stuff on that show. But a new show is in town, and Popsy Underground is here to stay. And I am making a vow right now to all of you that I will never, I will never talk shit and hate on a movie before I've even seen it. I know, it's crazy, but a lot of you that listen to the Supercast know exactly what I'm talking about, and I promise I will never, ever do that here on this show. But... We are not here to talk about the Supercast. We are here to talk pop culture. And like I said earlier, the kings of Gunfu, Deathstroke, and Red Hood, both making an appearance in the same week. We're going to talk about that here in DC Weekly as the Deathstroke actor Joe Manganiello has joined the reshoots for Zack Snyder's Justice League Snyder Cut. And we got our first look at Red Hood in Titans Season 3. Also, we got a rumor that has to deal with Michael Keaton and Batman Beyond. And I don't usually like to talk about rumors on this show, not all that much, but these kinds of rumors are worth talking about. Also, in Marvel Weekly this week, we might have a new Moon Knight. We might have a new Moon Knight, as Marvel is now rounding out the cast for all of their Disney Plus shows coming up here soon. Also, Marvel's Blade is looking to ramp things up as they begin their search for writers for the movie. And over in Pop C Weekly, we gotta talk about Creed 3, as a new report is suggesting that Michael B. Jordan will not only star in the movie, but is apparently considering directing the film. Cyberpunk 2077 gets delayed, again, for the third time. We have an Assassin's Creed live-action TV show coming in development from Netflix. Also, I watched Blood of Zeus, and I've got to give my review on that show. And over in one of the final Movie Mash features for the month of October, we will be talking about 2018's Halloween the sequel-slash-reboot to the original 1978 film that I thought did oh so well. And those are the topics I am laying right before your feet on this episode of Popsy Underground. So, let's not kid around anymore, let's jump right into it, DC Weekly. (laughs) It's that time again, boys and girls, for the DC... <laughs> Weekly. Thanks again for the intro over there, Joker. And what do you know, Joker? Somebody else is going to be joining you in the reshoots for Zack Snyder's Justice League Snyder Cut, as Joe Manganiello has now joined the cast to reshoot Zack Snyder's Justice League, or shall we say, to shoot a whole new film, Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> so, once upon a time in the DCEU, there was a man named Joe Manganiello. And he had everything handed to him. He was going to star in his own film. Star in his own film. He was going to be in the Batman film. 
back when Ben Affleck was still going to, you know, pull off the triple threat and write the movie, direct the movie, and star in the movie. He was going to be in that as one of the villains. He had it all. He had it all going for him. He had a serious career laid out right in front of him in the DCEU, only to have it crushed and the fist of Warner Brothers smashed down and crushed this man's dreams and hopes into oblivion to forever be forgotten. At least we thought. Now, rising from the ashes, Zack Snyder has brought Joe Manganiello back to life and brought that Deathstroke back so we can all see just what he may have done with that role. I am so excited that Joe Manganiello is now back as Deathstroke, if only for the reason that I think his Deathstroke design was the best. We've had three live-action Deathstrokes now, at least that I can count. I, I don't even know at this point, but I think we have three, at least three that are prevalent in our minds, right? We had the Arrowverse Deathstroke, we had the Titansverse Deathstroke, and now we're going to have the Snyderverse Deathstroke. And you know what? I'm starting to think that if Zack Snyder's Justice League is a huge hit on HBO Max, I think they are going to retain him and move forward with an HBO Max Snyderverse. But that's for another episode. That's for another time. I do think that Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke design was the best. Zack Snyder's Deathstroke design was the best. It's better than the Titansverse one. It's better than the Arrowverse one. And in all honesty, I love both of those other Deathstrokes. I think they're great. I think both actors played them really well. I think the outfits were really cool. The designs were really cool for both of them. I thought they fit Deathstroke to a T, but not as much as Zack Snyder's Deathstroke. I mean, I can never, I can never reiterate to you the excitement I had when I saw that Deathstroke pop up off of that boat in the end credit scene of Justice League. It was the best part of the whole movie. It was the best part of that whole movie. And I am not kidding you. I am not kidding you. It was the best part of that entire movie. And it's not even part of the main movie. That's how insane that is. But I was so excited to see this version of Deathstroke move forward. A live action movie version of Deathstroke to move forward. I don't think we've ever had that. I mean, I'm pretty damn sure we've never had that. And now we were finally going to get it. We'd seen Deathstroke on TV two times at this point. But I wanted this Deathstroke. When he, in the end credit scene of the normal Justice League movie, Frankenstein League, when he took his helmet off, he looked so much like Slade Wilson, even more so than the actors that portrayed him in the Arrowverse and in the Titansverse. And I keep calling it the Titansverse. I know it's just one show, but, you know, I'm, I'm still going to refer to it as the Titansverse, whatever. And, you know, we all obviously got to talk about Titans moving forward here. But I was so excited to see this. So you can only imagine my excitement level for this Deathstroke to come back and join the reshoots of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And even if Zack Snyder's Justice League is not good, if I can at least see one scene of Batman fighting Deathstroke, I will lose it. I will lose it. I will do a single episode on the show all about that one scene. I don't even care if it's one minute long. I will turn a one minute long scene into a one hour long episode all about that scene and how awesome it would be. Can you imagine Ben Affleck's Batman and the awesome fighting skills that he had that we saw, that we saw him showcase in BVS going up against an insane, awesome Deathstroke like Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke looks like he can be? Can you imagine? I mean, just think about that for a second. I don't care if you're a Marvel or a DC fan. Just think about that for a second. As a comic fan, you could not tell me that you would not lose it over a scene like that. And if you wouldn't, you're just not a comic fan. I, I don't know what to say. I, I really don't want to come out here and tell people that they're not comic fans, but come on. Come on. 
How awesome would that be? And now, we really gotta think about this for a minute. What is Zack Snyder doing here? We got Joker rammed back into this thing. We've got Deathstroke rammed back into this thing. I mean, see, I'm I'm really trying to figure this out here. Is maybe one of these four parts going to be an entirely new iteration of his movie? And, And I don't mean like a whole new iteration of his movie. I mean like a whole new iteration of new scenes that he's going to inject in the movie. Are they going to fit organically? There's so many questions here. But even pushing all that to the side, I am so excited and so happy for Joe Manganiello. I mean, this guy was supposed to have his own Deathstroke movie at one point. He was going to appear in the Batman film at one point. I mean, think about all the things that he had taken away from him. If you take Zack Snyder out of the equation, I don't think anybody suffered more of a loss from all of this than Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke. I mean, Ben Affleck already pretty much won it out, so he kind of got what he wanted. You know, Zack Snyder now got his movie back. So Joe Manganiello was the one left out there who had two movies taken away from him and a whole career possibly taken away from him. And I'm not saying he can get all that back by coming back for the reshoots in this movie, but he's got to be thrilled to at least come back and show a little bit more and do a little bit more in this role that I'm sure he never thought he would be playing in again, just like Jared Leto. I mean, it's 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 got to be great for them to at least come back for a week of reshoots. And holy shit, how much is Snyder going to put into this thing in one week of reshoots? I'm pretty sure he's only doing one week of reshoots. But I was reading a story earlier today about, you know, box office predictors and, you know, investors and all that thinking about how if Snyder's Justice League does have success and it finds success on HBO Max, that them giving him all of this money to do these reshoots and add this much more to the movie is actually a sign that they are trying to keep Zack Snyder and bring him back not only for this, but for more. And I actually do tend to agree with that. I think that if the Snyder Cut does do as well as it's looking like it may do on HBO Max, then yeah, I think we will see a potential Snyderverse set back up on HBO Max. I'm not sure we're ever going to see it in another movie theater ever again, but definitely on HBO Max because that gives them more flexibility. You don't have to go for the huge box office numbers. I mean, streaming is just the future, guys. It just is, whether you like it or not. I don't think movie theaters are going to go away completely, but I think they're going to go away quite a bit here with everything that's happened. I think a lot of them are going to shut down. You know, AMC is now renting out their freaking theaters for like $99. I mean, it's crazy what they're having to do to stay alive. But I think that if this does do well, Zack Snyder has a career on HBO Max if he wants it. But either way, I am just excited to see this Deathstroke on the screen at least one more time so excited take away everything else out of the picture i am just excited for that alone is all this gonna work i have no freaking idea i have no clue if this is all gonna work this may be too much this may be crazy he may be really overplaying his hand here but maybe not maybe not i don't know we'll have to see let's move on let's move on to red hood baby DC's Titans has revealed a look at Red Hood for the upcoming Season 3 of the now HBO Max TV show Titans. And my oh my, is it a beauty to set your eyes on. This is a gorgeous concept design. I love the look of this Red Hood. It is so similar to the Injustice 2 Red Hood, except I love the addition of the literal Red Hood to the Red Hood. I mean, I know that sounds kind of stupid when you say it like that, but when you're looking at these pictures, 
I mean, you know, the the brown jacket is straight from Injustice and the comics. I mean, he wears that a lot in the comics. The two guns at his sides. The red helmet, which I absolutely love, by the way. I love the red matte look that it has to it and the comic appeal that comes with it. I mean, it looks like it is lifted straight out of the comics. I mean, you can even go back and look at Scott Lobdell's Red Hood and the Outlaws comic from DC Rebirth and look at the Red Hood from that run, and it's almost like it's pulled right off the pages with a few minor adjustments, like the hood. But overall, I love this design. I mean, I think it is not completely comic accurate, but close enough. I mean, it, it's very comic accurate, though, let's be honest here. Just, just not 100% when you're talking about the Red Hood and all that. But he, I think he has had that in the past, but it's very comic accurate. And it also fits the Jason Todd from the Titans universe perfectly. I mean, this looks like something that he would dress up in after he throws a little fit and gets all pissed off at the Titans. And there's a couple things that you notice here when you look closely at the costume. So he's got some really cool padding. And it does look like someone might create the underneath layer of the costume for him. I'm not sure about that, but it, but it looks pretty intricate. But when you look at that part also at his chest, it looks like the Red Hood Batman logo is off-center and tilted. And it looks like it's almost spray-painted on there or painted on there. Kind of akin to how Miles Morales does it in the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie. So I wonder if he is going to take the Robin suit that he had and kind of rip out the the inner parts of that and create his underneath layer of the Red Hood costume with that and then, you know, add the hood and everything. I don't know where he's going to get the helmet from, but speaking of the helmet, when you look at the helmet, there's a few cracks in it. So that could actually signal that this Red Hood could be pretty busy before we catch up to him in Titans. It could even point to a possible slight time jump, maybe. I don't know, but I noticed the cracks on there and I kind of went, whoa, wait a second. Those are some pretty significant cracks in that hood. So unless he steals the hood from somebody and turns it red or whatever, he's going to have to be going through some battles before we eventually catch up to him unless the cracks occur during battles that we see during the show. But then why would you showcase that in your concept art? So that does show me that Red Hood is going to actually be Red Hood for a little bit of time before we see him and before Nightwing sees him. Now, I want to talk about the Nightwing costume as well, because I think the Nightwing costume is really, really good. I think it's awesome. I think it looks incredible, and I cannot wait to see more of it. But I think this costume right here, I think it's better. I think this is an awesome costume, and it just looks great. I just can't wait to see this in live action. And, you know, I had seen on Twitter the other day, someone had pointed out that Jason Todd, the Jason Todd Robin, it's crazy because his career started with a tire iron, and it ended with a crowbar. How funny is that? I thought that was hilarious. I, that had never dawned on me. So I thought that was funny. But talking about this concept art and this design in general, I'm going to give it five crowbars out of five. I love the design. I think it's perfect. I think it fits this show perfectly. I think it's great. I think it's great. And I can't wait to see it in live action. All right. This last part for DC Weekly is pure rumor, pure speculation. So take this for what it is. Take this with a heaping grain of salt, but there is a huge rumor going around right now that is gaining a lot of steam, and that is the fact that HBO Max is in discussions with Michael Keaton about doing a Batman Beyond live-action TV show. Now, remember, this is a rumor, and it comes from Mikey Sutton via the Midnight Edge YouTube channel, so that right there should set your alarms off right away, but we're going to talk about it anyways. He offers that this is not the first time Warner Brothers has talked about bringing back Michael Keaton as Batman. It is actually claimed 
that a live-action Batman Beyond movie was considered in the past, but Warner Brothers felt that there wasn't enough interest for them to greenlight the project. However, now it's said, everything has changed due to AT&T, as AT&T sees the IP ripe for 90s nostalgia, which is about to hit full bloom in the near future, according to them. Now, interestingly enough, AT&T is said to have been behind greenlighting the Snyder Cut, and a Brandon Routh Superman series is also rumored for HBO Max, along with the Air Cut. So a lot of rumors being thrown around here, but I want to talk about the Batman Beyond one, because I remember we talked about this on the Supercast, my old podcast, quite a bit. And we thought Michael Keaton, being an old man Bruce Wayne, would be perfect for a Batman Beyond movie. And it would really set up a really good reason for Warner Brothers to do a Batman Beyond movie. And if he, well, we know that he's in talks for the Flash movie, so he's already discussing things with Warner Brothers. That's why I think that this actually has a lot of steam. We've been seeing HBO Max pick up a lot of DC shows. We got the Green Lantern show coming, the whole Snyder Cut thing. I mean, they're doing a lot of things over there. And if it's true that AT&T are the ones that stepped in and said, hey, we need to go ahead and do the Snyder Cut thing, and they are the ones that greenlit it, then I think it's also true, or could be true at the very least, that they are talking to Michael Keaton about possibly doing a Batman Beyond TV show. I mean, I don't know if it would be a TV show or a movie. There's nothing official here at all, whatsoever. But I think a TV show actually would be the way to go. I think you can do more on a TV show when you're talking about streaming services. But man, if this were to be true, and he was going to be an old man Bruce in a Batman Beyond show or movie or whatever, you could actually technically tie that to his 89 Batman universe. That could be further explored here. You could take that 89 Batman universe and throw it way into the future and have him be old man Bruce, the actual Bruce Wayne that we saw in the Tim Burton movies. I mean, how cool would that be? I think that would be brilliant. Now, bear in mind, all of this depends on Michael Keaton agreeing to return to the DC Universe and appear in the Flash movie, which has not technically happened yet. He's in talks for it. But man, wouldn't this be awesome? I wanted to talk about this rumor because I want it to be true. I want it to be true. So, all right, let's end the rumor stage and let's head on to Marvel Weekly. Parker, turn on the radio or something. Too damn quiet in here. Sure thing, Mr. Jameson. All right, kicking off Marvel Weekly, this episode in a very exciting way as Oscar Isaac is reportedly in talks to star in Marvel's Moon Knight series on Disney+. According to The Wrap, Isaac would reportedly sign on to play Mark Spector slash Moon Knight, the mercenary who ends up being resurrected by an Egyptian god of the moon to be his avenging fist. Now, while often referred to as Marvel's Batman, Moon Knight is particularly unique in the sense that he suffers from an unstable psyche that includes multiple personalities, and he's actually expected to appear in MCU movies after this Disney Plus run. And I think this is perfect casting. I think Oscar Isaac has a very good acting record, and it makes a lot of sense because he's already on the team at Disney. I mean, he's already been in the Star Wars franchise, and now he's looking to make the jump from Poe Dameron to Mark Spector, a.k.a. Moon Knight. I think it's a great casting. I hope it comes through. It is important to note that it said he was in talks for the role, 
and nothing has been finalized as of the time of this recording, so it can always go a different way. Always. But, if this casting holds up, I think it's awesome. I think it brings a ton of star power to that show, and I just can't wait to see a live-action Moon Knight. I mean, it's always fascinating to see Moon Knight and Mark Spector and all of his different personalities and every comic I've ever read him in. He's always been really, really fascinating to read, and I think he would just be that much more fascinating to watch. So, great news to kick off Marvel Weekly this episode. I was really excited to see that this is in the works. Hopefully it comes to be true, and Oscar Isaac becomes our Moon Knight, because I think he's a great actor. I think he's a great, great actor. And I think he really, really brings a ton of presence on screen when you see him in anything he's in. He's recognizable, he's a great actor, brings a ton of star power, and I really think he could perfectly pull off the multiple personality disorder that Moon Knight has. Now I know a lot of you are going to be disappointed, because I know a lot of you and a lot of Marvel fans had a campaign running to get Keanu Reeves, and I'm even a little bit disappointed. I think that would be awesome, that would be incredible. But if we can't have Keanu Reeves, I think Oscar Isaac is perfect. And now the Moon Knight series, just like the She-Hulk series, is really turning out to be quite talented because Marvel has already announced that Jeremy Slater from Umbrella Academy will serve as showrunner for Moon Knight. And Slater has already promised fans that the Disney Plus series will be one hell of a ride for Marvel fans. And a quick rundown on Moon Knight, just in case you don't know much about him. Uh, Moon Knight, aka Mark Spector, or Mark Spector, aka Moon Knight, I should say, is a Jewish-American rabbi's son from Chicago, and while serving some very bad people on a mission in Egypt, Spectre's crew discovered an archaeological dig that had discovered the ancient Egyptian temple of Khonshu, the moon god. When the mercs kill the archaeologist and try to loot the temple, Spectre breaks ranks and tries to stop them nearly dying in the process. Servants of Khonshu bring his body to the temple where the god offers a second life to Mark Spectre as his avatar. Becoming Moon Knight, Mark Spector defeats the Mercs and returns to America using his money to create a fortune that supports his crime-fighting mission. That is just a brief little taste of who Mark Spector, aka Moon Knight, is. And if you want to know more about that, go read comicbook.com's article on Oscar Isaac becoming Moon Knight because it really delves deep into Moon Knight and who he is and the reiterations that have been done through him through Marvel but yeah, I'm excited about this. I truly, truly am. And I can't wait for all of these Disney Plus shows to come out. These Disney Plus Marvel shows. I think all of them are really shaping up to be something special. And hopefully Marvel can hit a home run on each and every one of them. I know that's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. But I think it can happen. Marvel has proven that they can do that time and time again. And this last story for Marvel Weekly is exciting because it's about Blade, the upcoming Blade film. And Marvel has not said a word about Blade since casting Mahershala Ali as the lead role back at San Diego Comic-Con in 2019. The movie doesn't even have a release date, but a new report from THR, The Hollywood Reporter, is suggesting that the Marvel movie Blade is now seeking writers to bring the project to life, and Marvel Studios is looking for black filmmakers to put behind the camera. THR said, quote, Current projects that studios are hoping to populate with black behind-the-camera talent include Marvel's Blade movie starring Mahershala Ali, which is looking for writers. End quote. So there you have it. The Blade movie is going to be in development soon, and they are looking for writers now, so it's only a matter of time now before we see this film come to life. Which is very exciting for a multitude of 
reasons. All right, that'll end Marvel Weekly. Time to hop on over to Pop C Weekly. Michael B. Jordan kicking off a news cycle once again here on Pop C Underground. The actor known for playing Killmonger in Black Panther and many other roles recently revealed to be producing a Static Shock movie for DC Comics. And now it sounds like that is not his only behind-the-scenes aspiration as a recent article about MGM and the James Bond franchise Deadline reports that the company is working on another Creed film and Michael B. Jordan is considering directing it. Now, this would mark a directorial debut for Michael B. Jordan because he has not directed a film before, and he has yet to comment since this news came out. So, this could be happening, it could not be happening, but it looks like he is at the very least considering doing it, and I think that would be cool. I think he has a firm understanding of this Creed franchise, and I think he has a firm understanding of the character and all the parts that are in that franchise, and I think he would be a fitting person to direct the third Creed film, and I think this would be the perfect movie for him to make his directorial debut with because he knows so much about the franchise already, and I think it would be really cool to see what Michael B. Jordan can do behind the camera in a directing role, and I think if it succeeds, he could do so much more later on down the road, possibly even in DC's new Static Shock universe that they seem to be building over there. I just think this would be really cool. And interestingly enough, in a book, actually, a book, if you guys still remember what those are, longtime Rocky producer Erwin Wrinkler revealed that he actually offered Jordan the opportunity to both direct and star in Creed 3. So add all these things up together, and it looks like he could very, very well direct Creed 3. And Creed 3 would likely see the return of Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Johnson Creed, it's unlikely that Sylvester Stallone will be popping up in the film because earlier this year, the legendary, the legendary actor revealed that he does not expect to make an appearance. So that's unfortunate, but I think it would be cool to see Michael B. Jordan direct his first film in Creed 3. Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed again for the third time. It will no longer be dropping on November 19th of this year. It will now be dropping on December 10th this year. So it's only a 21 day or three weeks if you have it delay, but that still marks a third delay for the game. Now, here's my speculation on this. So they are releasing this across a lot of consoles. This thing is coming out on a lot of platforms. And now I'm starting to think that those base consoles, I'm not talking about the PS4 Pro, which this thing will also have to be made for, and the Xbox One X, which this thing will also have to be made for. I'm talking about those base ones, the base PS4 and the base Xbox One. I think the fact that they're trying to put it out on those older systems, not only the next generation ones, I think it might be proving a little difficult for them. Now, they did state that while they did go gold earlier this month, the team still has work to do to ensure that the game runs smoothly on every platform. In other words, while the game's development is complete from a content perspective, it still needs more polish. And CD Projekt Red talked about that in their official statement, which is really long, so I'm not going to read it. But I am always a fan of delaying a game if it means it's going to work better and have more polish. And they did talk about a Day Zero patch that they're going to put out for the new systems and some other things. And hopefully... That comes to be now that it is delayed into the future, into December 10th and not November 19th. So, you know, three weeks is not a lot of time, but it could be when you're just trying to finish things up. But 
I think those base Xbox One and PS4 consoles are proving to be a little more of a challenge for them to run this game on because this game is huge. I think this will be my game of the year for 2020. And now that it's coming out December 10th, it can no longer be the official game of the year for 2020. Like it can't win that actual award at the game show, but you know, it still could next year, but I doubt it with all the next gen titles that are going to hit next year. It's crazy. It's a full schedule. It's a powerhouse of a year for gamers. I cannot wait for 2021 for a lot of reasons. It's going to be a powerhouse reason or sorry, a powerhouse reason. It's going to be a powerhouse year for Marvel. It's going to be a powerhouse year for DC. It's going to be the year that all of the movies that could not come out in 2020 come out and all the games that couldn't come out in 2020 come out. So guys, 2021 is going to be the year of content, let me tell you. But I am still very excited for Cyberpunk 2077. And to wrap up the news part of Popsy Weekly this week, Netflix is developing multiple TV series based on Ubisoft's massively successful Assassin's Creed video game franchise, the first of which will be a large-scale live-action show. The game series, which follows a secret guild of assassins through ancient human history, was previously adapted for the screen in 2016's Assassin's Creed, which starred Michael Fassbender and did not go over so well. Now, the latest game, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, releases on November 10th, and I am very excited for that game. And I'm not a huge Assassin's Creed player. I have not played very much Assassin's Creed, like, ever. I didn't play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I didn't play really any of the last three or four Assassin's Creed games at all. But I am going to play Valhalla. I'm very excited to be a Viking and raid towns in that game, let me tell you. But Assassin's Creed won't be Netflix's first foray into the realm of video game adaptions. I mean, they've done Castlevania now, and The Witcher, of course. And they're even currently developing the upcoming game Cyberpunk 2077, which we just talked about from CD Projekt Red, whose CD Projekt Red also did The Witcher, The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, which is one of my favorite games ever. So they've done The Witcher, and now they're doing Cyberpunk 2077, so it looks like Netflix is, you know, working a lot with them. But obviously, they've been adapting video games to Netflix for a little while now, and continue to do so, and now they are adding Assassin's Creed to its long list of gaming properties. The company is intending to develop a TV universe of Assassin's Creed content, which will encompass multiple animated and live-action shows. The first show a, quote, epic genre-bending live-action adaption, end quote, will be executive produced by Ubisoft's own head of film and television, Jason Altman. Altman said that the company is thrilled to create an Assassin's Creed series with Netflix, and they look forward to developing the next saga in the Assassin's Creed universe. I can't be extremely excited for this because I'm not the biggest Assassin's Creed fan, but I think it's a really cool concept, and I think you could build a really cool world from it And they kind of failed to do so in that 2016 movie, which isn't a terrible movie, but it's a bad movie. It's not a good movie. But yeah, I mean, I think this is cool. I think this is really neat. I think this could get a lot of people, including myself, to go back and play a lot of the Assassin's Creed games that came before Valhalla. Because like I said, I'm definitely playing Valhalla. I cannot wait to play that game. But yeah, this is cool news, especially for all of you Assassin's Creed fans out there. I'm happy for you. Congratulations. And that will end the news part of Popsy Weekly. So now... To finish the show, we've got to talk Blood of Zeus. Alright, Blood of Zeus is not something I saw myself watching recently. I didn't even really know about it until, what, like last week, I believe? And now that I've watched it, I will definitely continue to watch it. I have watched two episodes of it, and so far, 
so good. Really good. I am really enjoying it. Powerhouse Animation, who is the studio behind Netflix's original anime series such as Castlevania, has returned with another entry in their anime lineup with this new show, Blood of Zeus. Blood of Zeus takes on names and stories from Greek mythology, and it is a brutal take on these classic adventures and characters, and an electrifying take in my opinion. I love the animation for one, I think it's really good animation. I love the colors for two, and I love the metal approach that they took with this thing. I mean, this show is very, very metal. I mean, if we are just looking at the pure brutality of it, it is brutal, it is gory. The music, though, is really good, and just the way that they show these Greek characters is just in such a, almost a terrifying, great, great way. I mean, you can really feel the presence of these characters when they're on the screen, and the character development is really good so far. Now, I have not watched all eight episodes, so I cannot attest for that completely, but man, so far, Blood of Zeus, it, it's holding strong. I mean, it offers a rare perspective on Greek gods, monsters, and mythology for anime in general. And it really holds up with the high-intensity violence that we have come to expect from a powerhouse anime. I mean, that's one thing that made Castlevania really special. And they are really holding up here. The violence is really taken to a fun new level with this show, because the scope of fights have been taken to a new degree with varied monster fights that they kind of add in throughout the one-on-one uh, -on -one battles we get, so to speak. And while there can be some moments of stiffness in the animation, and my guess is because of how elaborate these character designs are, nothing is really too bad to kick you out of the experience entirely. And like overall, I think the anime is really good. But there are a few moments where it seems like they, they can't really... I don't know, move as much or move as quickly as the rest of the show, if that makes sense. But the fight scenes are really good. The violence is really good, if that's what you're looking for here. And it's it's already, it's a good drama, even. And it has started a very cool familial story at its core. So I am loving the show so far, and I will continue it. It's eight episodes, and I will finish the other six episodes that I have not seen. And I, I think it's really good. I think it's worth your time, so go check it out. And if I were to rate it so far, the first two episodes that I have seen, and I'm not going to rate it on my office scale that I usually do, I'm just going to rate it on a five-item scale here, I would give it so far four lightning bolts out of five. A solid four lightning bolts out of five. And you know what? Screw it. Let's do a regular rating. So if you don't know my rating system here on Pop Culture Underground, I like to do my rating system in honor to my favorite TV show of all time, The Office. So if I absolutely love something, and it is top-notch, it is at the top of the shelf, and you have to see it, you have to watch it, you cannot miss it, I will give it an infamous Undie Award, which is very similar to a Dundee Award that Michael Scott gives out on The Office, but an Undie Award for Pop Culture Underground instead. I also give things Stanleys that are middle of the road that aren't super good but aren't super bad, but things that are super bad that are absolute trash get a Toby. So for this one, I'm going to give it a good Stanley. I'm not going to give it an Undie Award yet. I would have to finish the whole thing, and it would have to hold this throughout the entire series or get better in order for that to happen. But so far, I'm going to give it a very good Stanley. But now, it is time to talk about the 2018 movie, Halloween, in this episode's Movie Mash. Halloween 2018 is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. For a lot of you, 
that listen to the Supercast, you understand and know that the original Halloween film holds a very special place in my heart. I watched it all the time as a kid. I watch it every Halloween, every year, multiple times usually, and I love that film. That film is sacred to me. That film is really, really a gem that I really hold on to and I really love, and I really hold that up as the standard for every other horror movie that ever came after it, in my opinion. That's just how I look at horror movies, and I think that that is the quintessential one. Michael Myers is my all-time favorite horror icon. So Halloween is very special to me. And when I heard that they were going to be doing this 2018 reboot slash sequel, I was wondering, what what are they going to do? How are they going to do this? I mean, are they going to mess this up just like they did Halloween Resurrection? You know, that was god-awful. You know, Halloween is like one of the strongest franchises out there. One of the strongest horror franchises out there. I mean, the first one is phenomenal. The second one is great. The third one is so different, but it's good on its own. The fourth movie is one of my favorites in the entire franchise. I mean, it's a solid franchise through and through. Yeah, there's a couple bad movies, but this one, the 2018 one, is not one of them. And I was ecstatic to hear that they were going to be throwing away all of the films after the original and make this a sequel to that one. And I was like, oh man, so they're going to get rid of the whole sibling aspect between Laurie and Michael Myers. And I, I kind of thought maybe that was a bad idea. But then after I saw this movie, I realized, oh, no, what they've created here and what they've made is actually so much better. Now, I kind of think that even if they were siblings, what they did in this movie, they still could have done. But man, I was so thrilled to watch this and realize just how much it was like the original Halloween film. I mean, it, it, it is the best Halloween sequel out there. It's a fantastic movie. And Blumhouse does it again with this film. Blumhouse is just killing it up and down the board. And they do such a good job making this movie feel like the original movie. This is so good. I mean, I, I can watch this movie over and over in The Mask. I was really worried about The Mask because a lot of times in Halloween and the franchise, they try to make The Mask look aged. And even if they don't try to make The Mask look aged, they always get it wrong. Like Halloween 5, for example, The, the Mask was terrible in that movie. And they really nailed the mask this time. And that is so important when it comes to Halloween. And you would think that's such a trivial aspect of the whole thing, but it's not. I mean, it means a lot when that mask is on par and correct and accurate because it's such a difference between the way that they do the mask right and the way that they do the mask wrong. And if it's wrong, he just looks silly and he just looks stupid. I mean, this, this is already a guy that can't run. <laughs> so, you know, what's he got going for him? He's got the terrifying mask. And you got to make that right. And they always make that right here. And they always nail it. And all, or I mean, in this film, in this film, they nail it. And all of the kills that they did in this movie were done very well. And every scene with Michael, even near the characters, created a serious, serious feel of suspense and terror. Michael just kills people up and down and literally stomps someone's head in, which was great. I mean, it was epic. And that first person point of view shot of Michael moving through that lady's house and killing her was great. And, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, you have to go see it because you may not understand a lot of things I'm talking about here. You just got to watch it. It's a quintessential horror film. You've got to go see it. And Jamie Lee Curtis returning as Lori was way better than I thought it would be. She put on such a good performance. It was even better than her Halloween H2O performance, which maybe, you know, it was good, but it wasn't great. But she is great here. And Judy Greer did a fantastic job, as she is always a pleasure to see on screen. And this isn't even mentioning, even for a few scenes, Nick Castle returns to his iconic role. Even the very few scenes that he is in are just really well done and puts on a great show. I really have no complaints about this film, other than 
maybe that the guy putting on Michael's mask later on in the film, you know, that was kind of stupid. That was kind of dumb. And that kind of gets kind of gets canceled out by the rest of the movie, really. And I was kind of wondering what they were building towards there. And that's really the only part that I don't necessarily like. Other than that, I I cannot recommend this movie enough. It is a fantastic film. It appeals to the fans of the original, which is so, so important. And the showdown between Laurie and Michael at the end is great. It is really, really good. And even the modern takes that they throw into this thing are really well. They, They blend it in with the modern takes and the old movie takes beautifully. They do a fantastic job with it. And I am going to give this Halloween 2018 sequel five butcher knives out of five and a serious Undie Award. A serious Undie Award. Like one of the highest Undie Awards I have. I, I was so thrilled that they did this right. And they did a good job with it. And now they're doing, they're going to do a trilogy of it. And they're still working on Halloween Kills. And then after that's going to be Halloween Ends. And I think they're going to do it right. I really, really think that they're going to do this right. And David Gordon Green directed this movie beautifully. Did such a good job with this movie. And even John Carpenter, who came back to score this movie with his sons, he even said it was the best Halloween movie since the original. And I think John Carpenter, having something to do with this film, added a ton to it. And he does a killer job here with his sons to compose this sound score for Halloween 2018. They did a great job bringing the score to life for the movie from the original movie, but even spinning it in a bit of a different direction. And the jump scares that they created right off the bat were great. And they match the scenes that they play a part in. The music has an 80s style to it too, which is really, really cool. I mean, I thought that really added to the movie as well. The fact that they blended modern age with old school horror in this movie really, really worked and really made this movie something special in my opinion. I will hold this movie up as one of my favorite Halloween movies of all time. One of my favorite horror movies of all time, period. And I was so happy that John Carpenter came back to have something to do with it. And I think that alone had a lot to do with how this movie ended up being. I think he not only composed it, but I think he also had a lot of words for David Gordon Green and everybody else involved in this movie and about how the original was done and little tidbits of information that maybe helped them shape the movie that this became. Great movie. Gotta go see it. Definitely for Halloween. And that will do it for this episode. I gotta get going. My kids are getting antsy. They're screaming in the other room. I'm sure you can hear them. I don't know. Maybe not. But... I can, that's for sure. So I got to get going. Guys, thank you so much. Once again, I am Jordan. I appreciate you listening more than ever. One more time, I'm going to end an episode on a note of respect other people's opinions. You always got to respect opinions. They are not yours. They're someone else's. Everybody lives life. Everybody deserves an opinion. Everybody goes through things. If there's anything we all have, if we had nothing else in the world, we would have our opinion. And how would you feel if someone just shit all over your opinion? So please, please respect other people's opinions. Guys, thank you so much. You can follow me on social media if you would love to do so. I am on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of them at PopCUnderground. If you feel inclined to tip the show, you can do so at the tip jar link at the bottom of the episode. You can also go check out the website and the website link at the bottom of the episode the episode show notes, I should say. Kind of losing it here. Episode show notes, I should say. So go check that out if you want. And uh, yeah, until then, I will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, The listenership has been awesome. I cannot tell you what that means to me. And also, if you have not, please go leave an Apple Podcast review. The more reviews, the better. The more people can read about the show, 
the more people find the show. And the bigger we get the show, the better equipment I can get, the more I can expand. Great things are coming. I do plan on doing an unboxing of the PS5 when I get it. I don't want to make that official yet because I'm not sure I'm going to get it on release day. Amazon sent me an email saying they may not get it to me by the day that the PS5 launches. But if I do, I will definitely do an unboxing video and I will post it on all the social media sites. All right, guys, that will do it for this one. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening. Take it easy. Until then, I will see you guys on the next episode. Later.